call to order the MPOJC Urbanized Area Policy Board meeting of Wednesday, November 15th. First, recognize alternates. Do we have any? Mike Hench is here for the county. Mm -hmm. Is that it? And I'm oh. here for Lori Roman. All right. Phil Hemingway here for Lori for the school district. Item 1B, consider approval of the meeting minutes. So moved. Second. Moved by Donahue, seconded by Dickens. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? They pass. <laughs> uh, item 1C, set the next board meeting date, time and location. Uh, we're looking at January 31st, tentatively hosted by North Liberty. I'm assuming we probably have some time constraints yeah we'd like to set it as late as possible because we need to get the budget prepared and, and ready for the board okay right. so please make sure you get that on your good to know. make sure you get those on your calendar so January 31st and we'll make sure to give you the location as once we get that confirmed okay item two any public discussion of any item not on the agenda anybody in the audience who'd like to address us Seeing none, you have some? Yeah, thank you. Uh, seeing none, I just want to uh, acknowledge that this will be the last meeting for a few of our current board members. Uh, Brian Wason uh, has served on the board for uh, less than a year, but we're happy to have had him and uh, appreciative that he filled the vacant seat left in North Liberty when uh, Amy Nielsen moved to the State House. Uh, Terry Dickens, who has served since 2010, uh, if I figured that out correctly. Um, yeah, that's right. And uh, last but not least, uh, Dave Ricketts. Um, Dave is at his retirement reception currently and won't be able to make the meeting. Um, He'd do anything to get out of one of these. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to Dave earlier. Uh, Dave was the first ever board chair from the University of Iowa and served in 2008. And as far as we can tell, uh, Dave had been on the board since 1981, this board since 1981, when the MPO was actually designated by the governor of the state of Iowa. And in fact, I think he was actually on, um, at the time it was J.C. Cog, but our predecessor before that even, uh, the Johns County Planning Commission, I believe it was called. Wow. Um, so uh, 30 plus years uh, for Dave. So um, congratulations, everybody. I appreciate it. Oh, you get a plaque. I want a speech. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't want a speech. <laughs> I went and saw it today. Thank you. There's a ton of people in this retirement today. Oh, I bet. All right, moving on, item 3A, appoint a nominating committee for calendar year 2018 Urbanized Area Policy Board officers. Yes, thank you, Kent Ralston, uh, Executive Director. Um, at your next meeting, which will be in January, uh, you will elect a chairperson and vice chairperson for the calendar year 2018 uh, board. Uh, the chairperson, of course, is responsible for presiding over the meetings, and the chairperson and director are also responsible for putting together uh, the agendas for each meeting. Um, as director, director it's been does my, that. <laughs> yeah. As director, it's been my practice to discuss those agenda items uh, with the chairs prior to all the meetings and, and make sure everything runs as smoothly as possible. Uh, what I'd like from the board tonight is that you please consider uh, appointing a three-person nominating committee uh, for the chair and vice chair for 2018. Um, past practices has not included the director in those discussions, but I'm happy to help uh, if and when I can. 
as you know, uh, Susan Mims is the current chair. This is Susan's second year uh, serving as chair of the board, um, and our bylaws uh, state that she cannot serve again. There's a two-year maximum consecutive term limit for that. Uh, Steve Berner is vice chair. Uh, this is Steve's also second year as vice chair. Um, and he will not be able to serve as vice chair again. He could as chair, but not vice chair. Uh, so what we would like is a three-person nominating committee that will have some discussions between now and January um, and nominate a chair and vice chair for 2018 at our January meeting. If there are any, any volunteers. volunteers? And typically, not. we try to get three from different communities. Mike Carberry from the county. I'll do it. Terry Donahue, North Liberty. And I'll do it. Louise, Louise. Fromm. University Heights. Thank you very much. I'll reach out to all of you um, between now and the next few weeks and just make sure we're all on the same page. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Item 3B, uh, confirm which entities will nominate Johnson County representatives to the ECCOG Board of Directors. Yeah, again, under the MPO bylaws, uh, each January, the Urbanized Area Policy Board appoints three elected official representatives to the ECCOG Board of Directors, that's the East Central Iowa Council of Governments Board of Directors, as well as one citizen representative. The elected officials are, of course, elected. The citizen representative just needs to be a citizen that resides within Johnson County. Uh, and the appointments are made to the, according to a following rotation that's actually stated in our bylaws. Uh, one elected official seat will be filled by the two largest ent entities which um, go back and forth every year. That's Johnson County and the city of Iowa City. Uh, the current representative is from Johnson County, so the 2018 representative is scheduled to be designated by the city of Iowa City. The next is that there's one elected official seat filled by the third through fifth largest entities uh, that alternate annually. The current seat is held by the city of Coralville, so the 2018 representative is scheduled to be designated by the city of North Liberty for this year. Excuse me. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And one elected official seat will be an elected official from the remaining entities, um, which from the urbanized area entities as well as the rural entities, uh, and they alternate annually. Uh, the current seat is held by the City of Hills, with the 2017 representative, excuse me, 2018 representative to be scheduled by the City of Shueyville. And then last but not least, there's the one citizen representative uh, that is appointed. Uh, the current seat is held by Aaron Meniza, and Aaron's actually going to give us an update uh, later this evening. Um, Aaron resides within Johnson County, um, and he's been in that position for two years. So what I'd like from the board tonight is whether you'd like to see Aaron continue for a third year if he's interested, or if we should advertise uh, for another citizen representative. Okay. All right, so the municipalities, uh, Iowa City, we have our organizational meeting after the first of the year, so we'll get that. Um, assuming City of North Liberty will do similar. City of Shuiville will take care of theirs. Um, so then the question is on the citizen representative. Um, people's thoughts. If you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, you're, the, the EC COG is not, um, I've served on it. It's, it's not an entity that you jump right in and can follow everything they're doing and what the nuances are in terms of their responsibilities and that sort of thing. Um, so I guess my first thought would be that if Aaron is interested and willing to continue, that that would be our first um, approach. And if he has decided that two years is enough, then we would advertise. So that, that I would agree with you. It takes a couple of years for sure to get your feet under you and yeah. kind of know what's going on there. Yeah. So any other? Okay, then we'll approach it that way. We'll be talking to you, Aaron, and see 
<laughs> See what no, you're put in. Put them on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't yeah. do that. We'll, we'll Meeting times that they have, is it a general schedule? Yeah, it's that's the other difficult part about yeah. ECOG. They have monthly meetings, and it's the last Thursday every month, I believe, um, in the early afternoon. So. Yeah, at one o'clock. So they're a little tough to get to, and that's another thing. I know Aaron's been very good uh, about attending, as have really all of our ECOG representatives. So that's a, that's good as well. So I will reach out to Iowa City, North Liberty, and Shuyville and make sure that everybody's aware um, that it's it's their turn to appoint somebody to the East Central Iowa Council of Governments. I'll also be in discussion with Aaron to see if he's interested, and if not, um, we'll go ahead and advertise for the position. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Item 3C, preliminary discussion of the fiscal year 19 MPOJC budget. Yeah, thanks. So prior to the preparation of the budget, which you'll see this coming January, um, it's been my practice to discuss proposed changes with this board, of course. This is the last meeting before January, so this is the time to discuss uh, any changes we want to see um, so that we can have that budget prepared and, and ready for your uh, approval. Um, I've attached pages from the current year FY18 budget for your reference, and I think everyone knows, but administratively, uh, the MPO employees are um, uh, organized under the city of Iowa City. Uh, the focus and the purpose of the MPO remain to fulfill state and federal requirements necessary for local communities to receive state and federal transportation capital and operations funds, as stated in your memo, uh, to produce locally generated traffic studies to support transportation-related decisions and capital project decision-making, to coordinate transit planning and transit reporting consistent with uh, state and federal requirements, to assist local entities with review of development proposals, which is something we've been uh, doing more and more of lately, uh, and to serve as a forum for other regional issues um, that take place in the county. Uh, capital expenses, I anticipate, will be very similar next year, or excuse me, in FY19 to what they are this year. And we have uh, replacement schedules for our traffic counting equipment, software, uh, maintenance, that sort of thing. Uh, however, as you may have seen in your memo, I am proposing to change the level of MPO staffing for FY19 by adding uh, a .5 or half-time, full-time equivalent. Um, this still leaves us uh, about a half-time position short of where we were at in 2015, uh, just to put things in perspective. So for about five years now, we've been running a little bit lean. Uh, this is something I brought to you last year, but there was some concern uh, from Iowa City and other communities once we got to the board level about uncertainties in state um, uh, cutbacks, basically, and, and the state rollback with multifamily residential. So there, there were some additional concerns about uncertainties in your own budgets, and, and we decided not to move forward. Um, the proposed increase in staff is necessary. Um, our workload, I think, is, is ever-increasing, and primarily due to increased development and associated staff review with uh, developments in all your communities. Uh, an uptick in overall uh, resident concerns, complaints, and inquiries for information, uh, new priorities and projects uh, with new city councils. You're all very busy, of course and then some additional state and federal requirements. So we've really been running pretty lean. Um, and again, this is something that, that we talked about last year but backed off on ultimately. Uh, the proposal will add something like $54,000 to our budget uh, annually, which is not a small amount. Uh, the good news and what I would propose to do is we do have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000 in reserve funds. We like to keep our reserve funding level at about one-third of our total budget, which is about $600,000 right now. Um, so we do have a little bit of extra wiggle room there. What I would propose is using about half that $53,000 from reserves, taking about the other half, um, actually increasing assessments to communities is where the other half would come from. 
Uh, I think we can probably get away with doing that for two or three years before our reserve level hits a level at which we don't want to reduce it any further. And that's essentially for rainy day. Uh, it's a, essentially a rainy day fund in case the federal government does not come through with their funding. And then we've got to do a little bit backfill. <clears throat> Um, as I mentioned, the formal budget we provided to you for your consideration in January, um, that request represents roughly a 9% increase from our FY18 budget of, uh, of approximately $600,000. And again, that's still less than the $670,000 budget we had uh, back in 2015. That's when we reorganized staff and were able to um, lower everyone's assessments in the 20% range. So we've been doing pretty good here for a number of years. Um, I would argue that if we can get by with doing just one additional project, a traffic engineering type project for each one of your communities, that that additional staff member would pay for itself. Um, most of you know you can't get a consultant really in the door for less than, or for less than twenty thousand dollars, maybe maybe a little less than that. Um, and really, what this represents, even at full freight, two or three years out, when we're at the fifty some odd thousand dollars extra um, in staffing, um, Iowa City would be about twenty five thousand dollars extra per year. Uh, Johnson County would be at about eight, Coralville would be at about seven, and then it kind of trickles on down the line. So we're not talking about a huge investment, but an investment in the MPO nonetheless. Um, if we don't move forward with a position, I think we'll start to see that the MPO will have to start denying some of the requests for additional work throughout the year. Every year when the work program's put together, you'll remember that we have our, our annual work program and we'll have 20 or 30 large projects in that work program. Um, and that's great and we're able to fulfill all those requests. What a lot of you may not see are the number of requests that come in weekly and monthly from members on your technical advisory committees. And in fact, I've talked to two engineers just today uh, for various communities asking for additional help. So this is something that comes in weekly, if not monthly. And again, um, you know, that decision on whether to add that staffing is up to you all. But I think what you'll see is some additional denials just because we sure we just don't have the time. Um, I'm very proud of what our staff accomplishes. They're running on all cylinders. Um, there's really no fluff at the MPO. Um, but I think, again, we're just, we're just really starting to feel the pressure with all the development that's occurring in the county and, and really just trying to keep up. I'm happy to answer any questions you have about that, um, what that person would be doing and how assessments would look in the future, that sort of thing. Um, and again, my job, I think, is just to steer the ship in the right direction. And uh, you know, we'll make do with what we have, but I think at some point in time, if it's not this year, in the coming years, we're really going to have to think hard about our staffing levels. Okay. Any questions for Kent? What's going to be their position? What are they going to be doing? Right. So the position right now, we've got uh, four and a half planners, essentially, including myself. And uh, Sarah Walls with our staff works half-time. She works half-time with the City of Iowa City, half-time with the MPO. And what I'd really like to do, it's, uh, she's an assistant transportation planner is her title, and it would just be making that position full-time. Whether or not that position is actually filled by Sarah or not remains to be seen. Um, but that would be the position as an assistant transportation planner, which, um, aside from myself, are all MPO staff. Okay. Any other questions for Kent? I'm going to support the recommendation. Um, I think that we've been running pretty lean. I think when you look at the fact that we're lower in staff level now than we were five years ago and how much this area has grown and how much more they're asked to do, uh, it's one of those things that uh, I think in, in all fairness to our staff, we need to give them uh, the resources, not only you know, with computers and all that <laughs> stuff, but just the personnel resources to be able to do the things that we're asking them to do. So I agree. I agree. I fully can fully concur uh, we're the second fastest growing county in the in the state 
we have uh, two of the fastest growing towns. Tiffin is the fastest growing by uh, percentage and North Liberty by raw numbers. Um, the fact that you guys do what you do with the staff that you have is amazing, but uh, I feel we need to give you the resources you need to keep us moving forward. I appreciate that. Okay. I agree. They've been wonderful. I, we've University Heights has asked for many more things too, and they've never turned me down and even kind of moved me up sometimes. And uh, they've been running very lean. I don't. I know that I've been on this board on and off, but 2006, and this is the leanest staff I've seen, and I'm amazed at what they accomplish. Mm -hmm. Just like all of you. Well, I see nothing but increased request as far as North Liberty is concerned by itself, so I have to underscore the increase. Okay. Yeah, I would agree too. Tiffin, we don't have our own full-time staff, I mean, so we rely on them for things too, and I know our assessment's much less than the bigger towns, obviously, but it would really hurt us without our full-time help to be denied on some things where they help us with, because we got really nowhere else to go, so, so we would support okay. it. Yeah, we agree. We agree. Also, it's as you see, as you're going to see this summer, it's going to be a little busy. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate all those comments. You know, we don't um, I don't take this lightly. I know that you all have your own requests at your city levels for staff that you have to deny for, for budgetary reasons. So we don't take it lightly. Um, the nice part is, is that it, it's a halftime position and that it's split amongst all the different groups, which which helps, you know, ease the heart burden a little bit. But again, we don't take it lightly. Um, we know adding staff is a difficult thing to do, but I, I wouldn't be asking if I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Okay, I think you've got your direction. Yeah, I do. So so we will reflect that in the budget in January, um, and otherwise you're gonna see essentially the same budget you've seen for years. Um, really no increases in travel expenses or software or anything else. Everything else is pretty much status quo. Okay. Thank you. All right, sounds good. 3D, consider a grant application timeline for transportation alternatives program funds allocated by the MPOJC. Yes, thank you. Uh, something that we've discussed in the past is that the typically, typically the MPO conducts our competitive grant process for both our surface transportation block grants and our transportation alternative program grants uh, every other year. And we went through that process uh, last spring for the surface transportation block grant grants. Uh, the biennial process has typically been the, the wish of both the Technical Advisory Committee and this board because we're able to allocate larger amounts of funds to uh, projects. Basically, it just adds the amount of funding we have available. Also, it streamlines the process, so we're, we're just doing this every other year, not every year. Um, due to changes in federal uh, legislation, the Iowa DOT notified us last fall that there would be modifications to how the Transportation Alternative Program funds would be dealt with, and these are primarily the funds that we use on trails locally. Historically, that's what we've used for trails. Um, what they had told us was, instead of doing our uh, going through our normal process, which is we go through the competitive process, the Technical Advisory Committee makes a recommendation to the board, and then we go through, um, well, we go through the political process and, and go ahead and program funds, that we would have to send all those applications to the DOT in October of every year and essentially have them sort of pre-approve the project. So it got a little bit messy. Um, what they're now saying is we do not have to do that. So last spring, we went through the process just for the Surface Transportation Block Grant, 
and we had to and we had to hold back on the transportation alternative program funds, the trail funds. Now they're saying uh, basically they've swapped some funding around at the DOT level, and they're now saying, okay, you can use your old process, so we're able to move forward uh, at any given time we want to. Um, I'm suggesting that we wait to realign the two processes, so we could go through the process, the competitive process this fall, and we'd have about five hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of trail funding to allocate. What I'm suggesting is that we wait until spring of 19, and then we'll be able to realign uh, both the funding programs at the same time. I think it's a good idea for a few reasons. One is that, again, we'll have a larger funding pool. And two, when we are able to work through both those funding mechanisms at the same time, we can actually spend some of the surface transportation funds on trails if we want to. So it streamlines the process, and then it, it, it it provides us an opportunity to have better, better project planning at the same time. Uh, we did not have a regular technical advisory committee meeting this November. There wasn't a need to. Um, but we did share this information with the Regional Trails and Bicycling Committee. And the Regional Trails and Bicycling Committee is typically the ones that make that recommendation to the TAC and then onto the board. It doesn't usually change. Um, and they unanimously thought waiting until spring of 19 um, made sense to them. Okay. In waiting, we'll have a little bit over a million dollars um, next spring to allocate. So there's, there's no downside to waiting. Um, and again, it, 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 we could do it either way, but streamlining the process, I think, uh, makes more sense by waiting. It's not gonna hold up any projects? No. Okay. No, this, these are all funds that have not been programmed. Okay. Um, and you can actually see it attached in the packet, I put in uh, what is currently programmed. Right. Yeah, it shouldn't change anybody's project planning, really, um, other than um, you may not know if you get a project award for an additional year. Right, okay. Any questions or comments of Kent? <clears throat> I'm supportive of the recommendation. Everybody okay with it? Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Thank you. We will move on. Go back to my agenda here. Uh, 3E, consider required safety target setting for the MPO as required by the Federal Highway Administration. Yeah, so the Federal Highway Administration now requires that MPO set targets for five safety performance measures as part of the Highway Safety Improvement Program, and then we need to report those to the state DOT uh, in February every year. For each measure, we'll either need to choose to, uh, one, support the state's targets, which are shown in your, um, in your memo, or two, set our own quantifiable target. Uh, for each one of those five uh, areas. In either event, we're gonna be required in our transportation improvement program every year, and this is where we program those dollars we were just discussing uh, under the last uh, memo, or the last agenda item. Um, in the TIP each year, we're gonna have to show how our projects make an effort to satisfy either the state's goals or goals that we set ourselves. We're also going to have to do the same thing in our long-range transportation plan, uh, which isn't due until 2022 because we just approved it um, here recently. But we'll also have to make that same argument in our long-range transportation plan. Um, there's no current penalties or restrictions on how our funding can be spent on projects that don't meet those stated goals or at least try to strive to meet those stated goals, but I don't know if that will be the case in the future. Uh, due to those uncertainties and reporting requirements, because we're not exactly sure what we're going to have to put in our TIP or the long-range plan at this point, um, the potential for future penalties by not meeting whatever targets we might set, um, I'm recommending that we go ahead and move forward with adopting the state's goals. The nice part is, is that we have to do this every year before February, so should we learn more information over the next year and decide it benefits our county uh, to set our own goals, we can do it at that time. And that's really what I'm looking for tonight is just a discussion on whether or not we want to adopt the state's goals or our goals. 
Either way, we will still have to have the same five um, categories, which is number of fatalities, fatality rate, number of serious injuries, serious injury rate, and then non-motorized fatalities and serious injuries. It's just at the state level, obviously, we're all pitching in to try and program projects that are safe and, and uh, well, safe for all modes of transportation. If we set our own, it's the same thing, but obviously the, the actual targeted measure is going to be different. Questions or comments for? So this will give us a greater degree of latitude initially until we get our own information sifted down or refined? Um, Terry, I don't know if it gives us any more latitude right now because right now what they're saying are there's no penalties for not meeting these stated goals. So as long as we're making an effort to achieve the same goal that the state's trying to achieve, we should be fine. My fear is that if we set our own and we don't meet them, and, and a good example is fatalities. You know, the, the state's got 367.9 fatalities. That's gonna be their target. And that would be what we would be buying into is trying not to exceed that number. It's a five-year average. What I'm worried about is if we would set our own fatality rate, it might be two, you know, or, or, some, or some number. That, but if next year, then it increases to three, and we've got this huge percentage jump in fatalities, that looks really bad. But when you've only got one or two fatalities a year, it, it's hard to juggle those numbers. So it's more or less the uncertainty on what the requirements are going to be in the future. And that, the Federal Highway Administration doesn't know exactly uh, how they're going to use these, I don't think, at the current time. It's not uncommon when they get new legislation to not exactly know how all this is going to be rolled out and what it all means. So um, in our conversations with uh, the DOT staff, I think um, they're not sure if there's going to be any penalties right now or any certain reporting requirements. But I think buying into what the state has right now and trying to support their efforts probably would be the, the path of least resistance. So I don't know if it buys us any more latitude, but I think it just um, it might insulate us a little bit from having problems down the line. It's the safer route to go. I think it's the safer route to go. And, and like I said, the nice part is we have to do this annually anyway. So between now and February of 2019, we'll have more information on this. And if we want to set our own goals at that point in time and see that as beneficial, then we can do that. There's nothing that's going to restrict us from doing that. Um, the other issue is this has to be done by this February, and we just learned about it in the last month or so. So even trying to figure out what our targets might be at this point, it's going to be a little bit tough. Would it be beneficial for everybody to have the same goals anyway, right. so that that data information is more concise across the board than everybody right. having different goals? Yeah, I agree. We were trying to kind of noodle through how all this would look and potential consequences and that sort of thing. And at the end of the day, we're really trying to achieve the lowest number of fatalities with our projects anyway. You know, we're trying to design things as safely as possible. So we're really trying to achieve the same goals. I just am a little worried about getting hung up with certain specific target measures, especially because some of ours are going to be so small, any increase could look really bad. Um, that's my concern. I'm comfortable with the recommendation to go with the state. Yep. That makes sense. Sounds good. See a lot of nodding. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you. All right. Moving on to 3F. Uh, discuss the Severson Challenge, Severson Charity Challenge for this holiday season. Sarah. Hi, Sarah Walls with the MPO. Um, every year I come back to you um, to remind you of uh, Linda Severson, our, our late colleague who was the MPO's Human Services Coordinator um, from 1994 until her death for six years now. We've remembered Linda with this charity challenge that the staffs of all our different entities um, challenge themselves to raise money for a local charity 
uh, the last few years our criteria for winning this fun friendly competition has been um, improvement over the previous years giving um, last year um, Iowa City finally took home the <laughs> trophy. I know staff is very excited about fundraising again this year, um, but I'm back here to see if the MPO mm -hmm. is interested in doing it again and how you want to proceed. I would say yes, and unless people have ideas for different ways, if it's not broken, Sounds don't good to fix me. it. Yeah, I was city one, so might as well right. line it up going. <laughs> And you know what they say about percentages when you start out low. <laughs> I'll, I'll continue engraving it even though I'm not on the board. All so right. Just Thank you, Terry. Thank if we need another cup someday, we'll provide that as well. So. All right. Put that in the minutes. Thank you. <laughs> it is. Any other concerns or questions? All right. We'll keep going. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Okay. Item 4A, update on the I-380 corridor study. Brad. Yeah, uh, Brad Newman, Assistant Transportation Planner. Uh, the DOT recently completed a planning study regarding uh, the impact on alternative modes of transportation in the I-380 Crandick corridor uh, between Iowa City and Cedar Rapids. They looked at about a 26-mile corridor. Um, this is part of the broader I-380 study um, that evaluated safety and capacity, and they, they just wanted to take a look at all their alternatives. They have these two corridors running parallel, so they wanted to make sure they had all that uh, studied. Uh, this specific study looked at long-term potential for commuter rail and automated transit systems. Uh, the study included a summary of recent multimodal studies, which uh, quite a few of them are the ones we had completed on passenger rail. Um, it also uh, looked at uh, conceptual short-term, long-term alternative uses in mode scenarios using a combination of passenger rail and automated vehicles. It was kind of interesting the way they had done this. They looked at everything from passenger rail all the way from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids. They looked at removing some or all of the Crandick Railway and putting in a paved surface for automated vehicles. They looked at a combination of the two, uh, maybe taking rail up to the Eastern Iowa Airport and then getting on the road from there, getting into Cedar Rapids with automated vehicles. So it was an interesting uh, study. Uh, they did come up with, they, they developed five different conclusions, and I want to, they're in your memo, and I want to make sure we, we go over those. Uh, the first one is to develop, the development of I-80 improvements are necessary in the short term, and all future transportation alternatives will be considered supplemental options, uh, and will not serve as a replacement for the additional roadway capacity that would be provided by widening I-380. So they just wanted to be clear that none of these alternatives would take the place of uh, the necessary widening um, of 380. Preservation of the Crandick Corridor right away as a public asset. Uh, they recommend, highly recommended that. Um, they also looked at um, the phase, phasing Crandick Corridor alternative Sorry, um, I lost my place here. Phase Crandick corridor alternatives to match demand, which includes additional commuter rail study between Iowa City and North Liberty. Uh, they, they were very specific in the study that that portion between Iowa City and North Liberty was uh, something that should be looked at. Um, and I think most of their scenarios included that portion as rail. Um, so. 
automated, automated vehicle Im Im implementation is best suited for connections to commuter rail service and implementation of the commuter rail in the I-380 corridor right-of-way is not feasible, which means we've had questions of why don't they just put a rail system right down the middle of I-380, hmm. and they have determined that that was not feasible. Um, the full study, it, the study itself is in, in draft form, that's why we didn't attach it. Uh, DOT is not ready, quite ready to release it yet, but they did allow us to use some of this information for tonight. Uh, we'll, we can get that to you when it is final, um, should be soon. Uh, and then the passenger rail portion I want to talk about in the next item. So any, any questions, questions for Brad on this part of it? I, I guess I didn't see, are, are they looking at six lanes all the way from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids? Does that appear to be the direction? Yes. And in fact, I think the study stated that that nothing done in terms of rail or automated vehicles supplants the need for that six lane. So I think the DOT's plan is, you know, we're moving ahead of the six lane regardless of what comes yeah. out of either the DOT's they were, plan they were very or very clear that these alternative yeah. modes would not take the place of six so lane. When um, the DOT had their planning meeting for the uh, Forever Green Road exit, um, we had heard from the county, from a bunch of county farmers, that they didn't want to give up the right of way. So I. Um, spoke with the DOT about that and uh, talked about Crandick and mm -hmm. Line and a few other things. And they said, Mike, you know, um, we need to take the right of way on the outside because uh, those residents wanted us to build the third lane or third uh, on the inside like they did on I-80. I and they said, Mike, well, the need for the third lane, has, that ship has sailed. What we're trying to prevent is the fourth lane. Yeah. And so they needed, people are building into the right of way on the outside so we need to uh, get that now and then save the inside, not for ra rail, which yeah. is not feasible, yeah. but eventually for that fourth lane. And I said, oh, gosh, you know, if you but build it, lanes. they will come. Yeah. So. Who, who actually makes that decision then long term for the six lane? Is that DOT? The, yeah, that's the, yeah. It's the commission. The DOT commission ultimately will make that decision and, and get it and get it in their plan. Weigh in on that or? Yeah, yeah, the DOT is good about asking for public comment, and they'll certainly want um, some input from the MPO, a letter of support or, or, or not, whatever the case might be. Um, similar to what was done with the I-80, um, 380 interchange, you know, all, all of those projects, if they touch our MPO urbanized area, which this would, the six-laning would, um, have to be reflected in our transportation improvement program. So that's where we're fun we're programming our own funds you know the stp and the tap funds we also have to reflect the programming of the dot funds um and when we went through the 8380 project that que that very question came up because i think there were several members on this board that weren't a, a fan of the 8380 project or the cost for that matter and when i asked how that would look if we actually did not approve that and put it in the tip at the time the dot and this is this was a different project but at the time um, the DOT essentially said that's not going to hold us up because what they would do is swap funds. So they would take the federal funds out and put state funds in and spend the federal funds on a different project and take the state funds from a different project and supplant those and put those into this project, which then would have precluded us from um, having to put that in our TIP. So not that that would happen for this project, and I'm not presuming anything that this board would, would say at the time, but that's, that was how they would have handled that project. Um, that project had also been planned for quite a while, and I felt like it was a little further along than the six-laning. I may be wrong about that, but at least in my mind, that project was a little bit further along, which may have 
affected how the DOT would have handled that. So we'll at least have the opportunity to vote on it at some point. And if we didn't authorize it, then at some point then yeah, we'll and switch funds. Correct. Unless I'm missing a piece, part of that six lane would be up near North Liberty, um, about halfway between Penn and Forever Green, which is where the current six lane project's going to stop. So that would touch our jurisdiction, which then I would assume some of those funds would have to be programmed in RTIP. Okay. Not 100% on that, but um, depending on how that works, uh, it should be an RTIP. Any other questions for Brad on this item? Ken, or Brad, do we know what the cost of the widening would be? I don't have it. Um, yeah, I we don't. don't. We don't have that information yet. Okay, moving on to item 4B, an update on the Crandick Passenger Rail Study. Brad. Yeah, to continue with this same study, um, we've been waiting for the results of this study actually to determine whether or not to proceed with phase three of our passenger rail study. As you remember, we've already had two phases uh, on passenger rail. The first phase was more of a broad look between Iowa City and Cedar Rapids, uh, which the, the cost came in very high. The second phase was more um, concentrated on the Iowa City to North Liberty section. And, and those numbers actually came in at about 30 to $40 million to implement uh, a passenger rail system. Um, so we've been waiting um, since there were ridership figures as part of this study. So we wanted to get a hold of those first before we continued. Um, and as I mentioned, all the scenarios in there um, that the DOT looked at, all of those scenarios included our numbers, the 30 to $40 million numbers uh, for that section of the rail. Uh, most of the costs in, in these scenarios ranged from 260 million to 683 million. And most of, those, most of that cost was north of North Liberty as far as the rail was concerned. It's very difficult to get into Cedar Rapids without spending a lot of money on the rail. Um, the study, though, when we talk about ridership, and it was, it was kind of interesting, the, um, these are average weekday ridership numbers uh, between Iowa City and North Liberty. In, in 2015, they gave an estimate of about 3,200. Um, 2040, the year 2040, it was about 6,200 rides was the average weekday ridership. Now these were using 30 minute headways and they were very specific in the study that anything uh, less than, it, they looked at 30 minute and I think 130 minute headways and they highly recommended the 30 minute because your ridership was so much better. So uh, based on all these proposed scenarios, the DOT concluded uh, that the eight-mile Crandick segment between Iowa City and North Liberty was a natural first phase for alternative transportation use and offered the most viable option to using I-380. That was one of the things they uh, determined in this study. The DOT, of course, recommends further analysis of this segment, and I know Iowa DOT and Crandick both are, uh, have indicated uh, that they are still willing to continue um, with those uh, studies a phase three study. Um, and, and I just wanted to mention that this is, I think, the fourth study in the last 20 years uh, that said um, passenger rail service between Iowa City and North Liberty was feasible. Uh, any north of there, not yet. But uh, this, again, indicated the same thing. So I guess we're back to uh, um, asking to see what 
the board's interest is um, and what I, I know we, we can't answer that question here uh, tonight, but uh, I guess we do ask that you go back and have those discussions with your entities and your uh, see what the level of interest is to continue on the phase three. Now the phase three study would, it would take some of those ridership numbers and then we could work um, with the operating costs because now we can kind of estimate what the revenue source would, or the mm -hmm. revenue would be on a system like that and then how that would operate. So, so we'd get more into the financial numbers. We, um, we don't have a commitment yet, but the, you'll remember the last two studies we've done, phase one and phase two, um, were in the $50,000 range with Crandic Railroad picking up a third, <coughs> the DOT picking up a third, and then all of our communities picking up the final third, which has um, you know, been in the several thousands of dollars for each community. Um, I forget what they were, but I, I want to say it was about $2,000 uh, to each community for each study. So we're not talking about huge amounts of money, but funding nonetheless. For the 30 to $40 million, what were they talking about? Right. That was just. 30 to $40 million included the infrastructure and rolling stock. That's it. Did not include uh, stations. The stations would be up to the communities. But that was the track upgrade, the crossings, and two, two sets of rolling stock. Yeah. Infrastructure is still already there, though. Uh, the base is it would have to go to a welded rail system. Okay. They would have to replace that. They would obviously have to, some of the corners, some of the drainage would have to be improved. Yeah. Uh, but the base is there. Uh, and Crandick, uh, originally when they came to us to talk about it, they had done the same thing to Amana from Cedar Rapids because they were taking everything out that way. And, that's, and they think they can do that same thing here. Um, and that's where those costs came from. Okay. On the 3,200 riders in a year. Well, that's a, that's a per weekday average, per okay. day average. So it gets you about 800,000 rides a year. I think that's low. That's not the way I interpreted that. So it ranges from 3,200 riders in a year. Well, it, it's, it's average weekday ridership estimate. Oh, that's low, though. That, that's way low. Low? No, I, I think that's tremendously high. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I think it I think it could go higher. I will. And, well, this, and that's not meaning that those 3,200 riders on an average work week would be riding from North Liberty necessarily. That's the total ridership. Yeah, total ridership. Both ways. Once it, yeah. once it started, once the commute started, it's. And that probably counts somebody twice a round trip. They're probably counted twice. Yes. And yeah. yeah. And it's hard to say whether those numbers are right or wrong, but that's the projection. And I think really what what we're looking for is just that communities that are interested go back, talk to your respective city managers, councils, and see if there's any interest in a third study. At the same time, our job would be to go and talk to the DOT and the Crandic to see if they're still in for their third apiece uh, commitment, because that, that makes a huge difference on, on how this looks for all of us. Um, but we would do that part. We would ask you that you do your part and, and talk to your respective entities. And you know, if the answer is no, we're we're not interested, then that's we'll stop there. Um, and if it's yes, then we'll move forward and, and ask each one of your communities again for that um, portion of funding. And, and I do think it's important if we don't move ahead with the phase three that we do um, preserve that right of way if that issue ever comes up. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's important at the very least, you know, to preserve it for the future. Right. 
Well, I'm, I'm not speaking for the other councilmen, but I, I'm pretty sure that we would be interested in doing that. Well, we'll put this on the January agenda again. Okay. And, and like I said, we'll do our homework, and uh, you can all have your discussions as you see fit, and then we'll, we'll circle our horses and go from there. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. And where does the line end at each end? The, the current study, the, the 30 to 40 million was basically from Burlington, essentially the, the campus, mm -hmm. up to Forever Green Road. It's Gilbert Street is the end. Yeah. Down, well, near the, the Wright Street Depot. Mm -hmm. right. uh, near the, well, actually, right here right. is the end of the line on the north side of the parking ramp, to, right out here. And, and, uh, I think and then it goes up to Forever Green. Right, and I think the bulk of that ridership um, would end probably at the Oakdale campus area, perhaps. I mean, that's just my own opinion of the matter, but I think that's where a lot of that ridership projection is probably coming from, is, is university students uh, and faculty from Oakdale campus back to the, the main campus, uh, hospital employees, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think they looked at five to seven stops along the way, mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. Now, to put things in perspective, too, the three local transit systems hit about 7 million rides a year. So, you know, putting things in perspective for what you might consider a, a reasonable ridership number, we're about 7 million for the three transit systems. Okay. Any other questions for Brad? Okay. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. All right, moving on to 5A, an update from the Johnson County, Aaron, representative on the East Central Iowa Council of Governments. Yeah, I invited okay. Aaron to speak tonight. Um, we've been trying to do this at least once a year um, for the last half dozen years or so to get updates on things that might be of interest uh, that Aaron's been sure. working on with the East Central Iowa Council of Governments. Thanks right. for coming, Aaron. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Good to see everyone. Yes. You know, I will say, though, it's been two years, and I still am not quite sure exactly what ECICOG <laughs> does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, I can believe it. <laughs> yeah, I just... Um, yeah, I, I made a couple notes here. Let me just go through here. And again, as, as Ken said, just to highlight uh, some of the things that ECICOG is involved in, specifically to uh, Johnson County. So I'll kind of start on the housing and community development side of things. Uh, you know, they're currently uh, working with the city of Shueyville on some development reviews, specifically kind of helping them um, update their land use plan. Uh, they're also working with the city of Coralville, um, kind of administering some uh, community development block grant funds uh, for some of the flood improvements uh, that the, the city of Coralville has been working on. Uh, as part of their uh, housing trust fund, uh, they awarded this year uh, a total of $35,000 to help repairs for five homes here in Johnson County. And uh, also, uh, uh, Doug Elliott, the executive director, has been working um, with uh, the Johnson County Homeless Coordinating Board um, uh, helping them here in, in August and September, I uh, worked with them on two strategic planning sessions uh, to help them kind of update their uh, strategic plan going forward and also has some plans to do something similar with uh, the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition here uh, coming up in, in December. So those are uh, some of the highlights on the housing and community development side of things. Uh, moving forward from uh, the transportation and regional development, uh, as part of the uh, the business assistance revolving loan program um, uh, administered through ECI COG. Uh, there's currently uh, 11 loans out to Johnson County businesses, uh, totaling uh, just over a million dollars, again, assisting these businesses in a variety of different capacities. And also, uh, as part of their corridor rides program, uh, there are actually three van pools currently serving uh, VA hospital employees. 
uh, as part of that program um, from uh, the transportation side. And then finally, um, on the solid waste and environmental services, uh, there's uh, the ECICOG is currently working with the Clear Creek Watershed Coalition, uh, helping them, um, uh, assisting them in doing some of the planning, as, as well as also administering some uh, CDBG funds uh, for that project as well. So that was really the highlights that, that I had to share uh, from ECICOG as it relates to Johnson County. So if there is any questions, I would be happy to try to answer them or at a minimum bring those back to bring those back to the board and, and get some answers for you. Any questions for Aaron? Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, have, like I mentioned earlier, having served on there, there's a, it's a wide range of things that ECCOG does. And so it takes a while to kind of get a handle on all of that. Okay. Any other business? Yes, if you would, please. Mm -hmm. Is Iowa City going to do a, a consultant study on your bus system? Uh, I'm not sure if we're bringing in a consultant yet. We're definitely going to review our bus system. We're starting that after the first of the year once we get our new transit director in place. Okay, because the thing is, is I think some of us want to explore the possibility of maybe piggybacking on that, if okay. possible. Okay. I will mention that to staff. Okay, thank you. Any other business? Do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get that out. Could you? Do, we, do we have a second? Second. <laughs> okay. Moved by Dickens. Seconded by Donahue. All those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you, Terry Dickens. Thanks, everyone. Your last one. <laughs>